0: You're listening to The Theology Mom Podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. So today we're talking about the developmentally and intellectually disabled. And this is a talk that I've been wanting to do for quite a while. Um, And something that really uh, connects with both my husband and I, because we both have family members in our family who are um, intellectually and developmentally disabled. And so his uncle and my cousin um, both have these challenges. And we've watched our family members uh, in this struggle of how to deal with these vulnerable members of our own family. Uh, My husband's mother, my mother-in-law, is one of the primary uh, custodians over her brother. So she's in her 70s now. And her brother is, how old do you think your Uncle Stan is? Is he in his 70s? He had some kind of an accident as a child and um, was affected by that and had brain damage. And so his mother is the primary um, kind of legal guardian over her brother. And that's, you know, she's had to go to court, she's had to uh, represent him in various situations of living situations and uh, he's on government assistance, and uh, when the government comes in and wants to switch his living facility, uh, it's very disorienting for someone who has those challenges and is advanced in years, and so it's been a, a heavy burden on on his mother over the years. And uh, so this is a this is a subject that is deeply personal to uh, Bob and I, and my cousin also struggles with this. Some of you who are at my anniversary party. My uncle talked a little bit about his his daughter and some of the struggles that they've gone through, and she was adopted from Korea. And I thought about interviewing these people, but I thought, you know, it just feels a little too exploitive, like my own family members, and so I didn't do that. And so we're going to watch some other clips, but it's just I want you to know that, like, this is coming from a place in our hearts uh, of really, like, this has been our own journey in watching members of our family in, in this, and um, some of the things that I've learned by watching my aunt and uncle over the years. Is how many of you know who Tim Tebow is? Former football player, now he's kind of in minor league baseball. But he was very maligned uh, among sports commentators because he's a pretty outspoken Christian. But his foundation, the Tim Tebow Foundation, every year hosts a prom for the developmentally or special, special needs people. So these are just a couple of tweets that I captured um, about, about that event. And ch- often churches host these events, and large army of volunteers to make it happen. It's called the Night to Shine. And they have a prom uh, for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And um, I thought it, it was kind of interesting, this tweet in particular, you can't really see it, but it says, truly incredible, and this is from a sports network, And immediately when I saw this tweet, I thought, well, why? Why is it incredible? To say that something is incredible is to make a moral judgment. Why is it incredible? I know why I think it's incredible from a Christian worldview standpoint. But why in the broader secular culture is it looked upon as being incredible, noble, or virtuous to have a prom for developmentally disabled people. Now we think this is just intuitive to us, but why is it intuitive to us? And I think it's to step back for a minute and to understand that this is part of our Christian culture. This is another tweet that I captured some while back. Patricia Heaton, I don't know if you know who she is. She's an actress. She's also a very devout Roman Catholic and I follow her on Twitter. And she will frequently retweet uh, pro-life types of messages. And um, she, she, she gets a lot of hate underneath the, the tweets. I thought this was interesting. She, she retweeted this one. Every life has value. Every life matters, regardless of the amount of chromosomes you have. And immediately, my question was, why? Why does every life matter? Why is it that we only value people with a certain number of chromosomes? And people that don't have those number of chromosomes, after all, it's the survival of the fittest, right? right. Why do we say that, that this is virtuous, that every life has value, every life matters? That is a distinctly Christian posture. You can only arrive there if you think that there is something intrinsic to that person that gives them that value. And it's not based on their functioning. That it's not based on their chromosomes. That there is something intrinsically valuable, even though these people are developmentally or intellectually disabled. So there's lots of, it's a whole spectrum of issues that we're talking about here with developmentally and intellectual, yeah. So there's, there's just a whole spectrum of issues of why do, but we don't kill these people. Are you with me? Yeah. We don't kill these people, why, why don't we? The growing trend in Iceland, for example, right. yeah. that they uh, have reduced the birth rates of Down syndrome babies to like one or 2%. So if you um, there's almost a mandatory um, chromosome test that you have to undergo as a pregnant woman, and if you get the results back and there's a chromosomal anomaly, they will. It's not mandatory that you abort your child, but it's highly frowned upon if you don't, and that you are looked upon as as not being noble or virtuous by giving birth to a Down syndrome child. And they have virtually eliminated the Down syndrome population from their country. And Iceland isn't the only country that's done that, but that's the one that's most recently been in the news. They say, well, this person's gonna have a less quality of life and the truly... A financial burden, a time burden for the other people in that person's life. And isn't it better to select that person out genetically to get rid of them. Now, we are making... Now, can you see how we are already making judgments? And they make judgments about us. But the way that that happens is largely based on our fundamental worldview assumptions. Are you with me? So they see it as virtuous to not give life to certain members of the population because they have certain moral reasons. Better humanity in the future, weeding out the gene pool, um, that there will be uh, less financial burden on the people around them. That, so can you see how worldviews make a difference? Yes. Okay, so let's just get our own worldview in place here, the Christian worldview. And again, we're looking at Genesis 26 and 27. Everything that we've been talking about this year are kind of the practical outworkings of this scripture passage of being created in the image of God. And the reason that Christians have historically said that people with intellectual and developmental disabilities are valuable is based on Genesis 1, that because they are created in the image of God. What we've been talking a lot about in class is the intrinsic value. That there's something different about us. Scripture never says that the animals are created in the image of God. We talked earlier in the year of how the image is a representation of God in some way. Um, It's a reflection of God and his holiness. We're going to look at some of those passages here shortly. But we believe that Christians need to display that dignity within the church and advocate for that dignity within the broader culture. This is what Tim Tebow is doing. He's saying it is more virtuous to treat Down syndrome people with dignity and let them have a prom than it is to kill them, right? That's not just a church issue. That's, he's advocating for that in the broader culture. So this whole idea that, well, Christians need to stay out of politics, you know, that's an interesting approach, but we advocate for the image of God all the time. The reason that we think murder is wrong is based on Genesis chapter 9, where it says the reason we believe murder is wrong is because you're taking away the image of God in someone. Mm -hmm. So that's a political issue. We have laws based on that. So we are both arguing both for the church culture and in the broader culture in many of these arenas. So now let's talk about the fall. What happens at the fall? We've got a couple of passages here. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desire. So something did happen to us at the fall. We were corrupted. Something happened. But we are made new in the attitude of our minds and to be put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So the historic Christian position has been that that we are that image is still there, but it's been corrupted. When we have the Holy Spirit, something in us is renewed and we become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. So part of what it means to be created in the image of God is to reflect his holiness as his people, to reflect his righteousness. Let's look at Colossians 3 real fast, very similar. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the the, knowledge, in the image of its creator. So something about having the Holy Spirit come live with us, in us, to put on our new self brings us more and more into conformity, more and more back to the garden, if you will, more and more restoring us into that pre-fall state. Now, a couple of very quick questions that we're not going to spend hardly any time on. The big question I run into a lot are is disability the result of sin. And it, Jesus makes this pretty clear in John chapter 9, where the disciples ask about the blind man. He says, did did he, did he sin or his parents sin? Is that why he's blind? And Jesus says emphatically, no. Um, and he says, he's, he, in this case, he was blind so that Jesus could reveal his glory by healing him. Now, Jesus doesn't say that that's why all people are disabled, so we need to make very careful in in how we say that. We don't want to say that all people are disabled so the Father's glory can be uh, displayed in them. But he does make it pretty clear, I think, that disabilities are not unilaterally the result of sin. So then this leads to the other question of, are disabilities the result of the fall? This is a much trickier question. Because I think in some cases, the answer is probably yes. And in some cases, the answer is probably no. And I don't have time to like come up with an exhaustive list. We covered this last year when we talked about natural evil. So I'm just going to refer you back to those messages where we talked about the nature of natural evil and what causes that. We did touch on the issue of disease. But the quick answer is that I think that in some cases, yes, disability, some disabilities are the result of the fall. Some are just the result of physics. And I don't see physics as being evil. That's just part of the setup of how the Lord made the universe. So as redeemed people, remember we've been doing all your creation, fall, redemption, glorification. You remember that? So Luke chapter 14, I think it's interesting that in Jesus' ministry, what a prominent place the crippled and the lame play. Have you ever noticed that? Yes. That Jesus doesn't just go to the beautiful people. He goes to the marginalized. He goes to the crippled and the lame, the disfigured, the people that people have pushed to the margins of society. These are the people that Jesus goes to. And I think it's interesting that Jesus wasn't, um, didn't seem concerned about, like, uh, you know, their, he wanted to improve their quality of life, but he didn't say it wasn't worth living, right? He healed them. And uh, we could look at modern medicine today as a form of healing and the Christian participation in that realm as helping to relieve pain and suffering and even helping to um, relieve some of these problems. But I think it's interesting that in the Christian worldview, we don't run away from the disfigured. That is a part of what it means to be a Christian is to include the people who are marginalized, the crippled, the lame, the deformed, uh, the disfigured. And I think Jesus's words are so instructive. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. These people in our culture are not looked, in our church culture, our Christian culture, ought not to be looked upon as a drain we don't, we don't only take care of people who can reciprocate in the Christian worldview. We take care of the, the marginalized who can't pay us back in this life because we believe that there is a heavenly reward to come, that this isn't the only thing that there is, right? And so we as Christians see the physical, we see beyond the physical world. The physical world isn't all there is. And so we see these people as having part of their dignity is that they will live forever. And, uh, yeah. be restored. Yes, and be restored, be restored. yeah.
1: My, uh, my dad's sister, my aunt, she apparently had rickets as a young child, but she didn't recover from it well, and so it's always been a uh, an idea in the family that there was more more wrong, disabled-wise, than what disabled her, but she was disabled physically, and she did start going to school, but only to about the third grade, and then she couldn't keep up. And my grandmother kept her at home, so she was only socialized with her family and people at church, but she loved Jesus, that was, my grandma made sure of that. Mm-hmm. But when my dad's sister, who assumed the care of her after my grandmother passed away, her husband passed it on to me. So I had that responsibility with for her for about 10 years. Wow. And it was interesting. But I wanted to make sure, it you know, she, you couldn't take her to a store and buy her clothes. Didn't work real well, because. But I made sure that she had things to wear that were appropriate. I even made them, because it 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 didn't only make me feel like I like. She was. She needed that. She needed to be. To to look pretty like other people did, mm-hmm. and I needed it because. I felt I was doing what God wanted me to do. It wasn't a really exciting thing to get this thing passed to me. But there was a lot of benefits in it because I made sure that she had the care she needed at the time she needed it, at the place that she mm-hmm. needed it. And I was there so I made sure that it was done properly That you know, and went to all the IP meetings and all yep. that stuff and see, saw what the government provided, told them her history, you know, here, here's this person that has to be in a wheelchair, doesn't want to talk, can't anymore, and didn't nobody knows but me that she went to school and she could write and she could read and she loved movie stars and collected <laughs> postcards of movie stars. Only I knew that at this point now. And, my husband and I made sure that she had the dignity that God gives all of us, including yeah. people who are ugly, like her, and not really welcome in society yeah. because of the way she looked. Not productive. Yeah. yeah. You know, and... huh. This is such a, a blessing. Bless <laughs> it was, yeah. It was such a blessing to Aww. us.
0: And this so is nice. part of how character is formed in us mm-hmm. as Christians. Mm-hmm. Do you see that? Yes. That, like, it's not just about what that person could give mm-hmm. you, Mrs. Gady. It was that what you received from her. That, that, that it wasn't just about you giving to her. In the physical, yes, there was a lot of you giving to her but she gave something to you in the spirit realm in helping to grow your soul. And see, that's where the Christian worldview is so important on these issues because we don't just see it in the physical. We see it in the eternal, in the spirit realm. And that we don't don't base people's dignity on their functionality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we base their dignity on something infinitely more and that is in the eternal but that's that's like a beautiful picture of exactly what i'm talking about is is that that's part of what it means to walk with christ that's part of, and that's why we do this we do this because it is part of our ethos as christians so we think that the people that society has left behind that they still have dignity and especially when there are family members 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the famous passage on the body of Christ, which I know is about the spiritual gifts, but I'm kind of extrapolating a little bit that this also includes things in the physical realm as well, that, that all the parts of the body of Christ ought to be treated with dignity. And I think it's interesting what Paul's word says. He says, on the contrary, Or the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, in other words, the private parts, the parts that we cover are treated with special modesty. But the presentable parts need no special treatment. In other words, the beautiful parts. Mm-hmm. But the part of the Christian worldview is that we, when we encounter the weak and the vulnerable, we make a provision for them. We don't just throw them away. We don't kill them. We, we are the people who went to the Roman dumps and rescued babies. That's who we are. That is our legacy as Christians. And what are we doing to help our children and our grandchildren understand that when you call yourself a Christian, that this is part of our legacy, is that we include the, the, the disabled, the people that other people have left behind. James 3.9 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. And the image of God is something that pervades all humans. And so we have to be careful even in how we speak about these people, the vulnerable, the marginalized, that the bad drivers, drivers (laughs) our political enemies, our religious enemies, all our enemies in general, that we, they have been, they are people who are made in God's likeness. And they too have dignity, value, and worth. OK, so the summary here is that the proper treatment of the intellectually and dis- dis- developmentally disabled, or we could include the elderly, or anyone who's who's kind of at the margins of, of society, uh, ne- is necessitated by the doctrine of the image of God in all humans. We're going to watch now a short trailer from a video called The Dropbox. Has anyone seen this movie? Oh, yeah, Great. yeah. But it's about a pastor, a Korean pastor, and he has a box in his house where young mothers can bring their children if they, they don't feel like they can take care of them. Yeah. And in Korean culture, there is such a, a value put on the traditional family that young unwed mothers, because it's an honor-shame culture, the young, un, young, un, young unwed mothers will sometimes think that their only option is to kill their children, especially if they're handicapped or especially if they're mentally disabled. And so this pastor will take these children in, and he has this this box in his house where people can just anonymously put their child, and he will care for it and try to find a home for it, um, as opposed to killing the child or leaving it out in, in the elements. And uh, I think it's just interesting that he's a pastor and he's, he's distinctly motivated by his worldview to, 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 to engage in this kind of activity. So I'm gonna play this clip.
1: And then I was weeping. I always cry when I'm angry. And she said, why are you crying? It's only orphan. The Baby Box is South Korea's first and only box to collect
2: abandoned infants. Hundreds of unwanted babies are abandoned on the streets of Seoul, South Korea every
1: year. The tragic loss of life moved a pastor to, to set up a way for saving unwanted babies. 위험함 속에서 버려진 아이들이 있고 또 길거리에서. 그래서 이제 Baby
2: Box라는 것을 만들게 됐고. 그리고 정말 안 들을 줄 알았어요. 어떤 아이들은 목사님 이 아이하고 죽으려고 약약 약, 약 탔습니다, 약 타놨습니다. 예, 그러지 마라. 그러면 너도 오고, 애기도 와라. 길이 엄마의 엄마의 길입니다. 제 아들을 부탁드립니다. 찾지 말아 주십시오. 죄송합니다. 정말로 죄송합니다.
1: 영어 이름은 빅토리 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 빅토리
2: 그래서 그 아이들이 이 세상에 필요 없는 존재들이 아니고 하나님이 쓰시고자 했다 이렇게 보내셨죠 이게 이제 예, 가정에 20명이란 한그 아이들이 조금 더 많이 살고 있으니까 그런 공동체가 다른 것은 아버지 어머니가 이기때문이죠. 하지 않는 일, 그리고 버려질 수 있고 나라에 살지 않고 있는 이런 일들을 하시는
1: just one person that really cares about children. It makes such a difference.
2: They're just human beings. Just like anyone else. They have the right to live. 이제 이 문제가 한국만의 문제가, 문제가. 아마 세계적으로 but these children, they're helpless. They're voiceless. Who's going to speak for them? 이 아이를 보내면서 다시
0: So reciprocity in the body, I think his, the pastor kind of hints at it there, is that he doesn't see himself as better than these children. He says, I would die for these children. Uh, I'm hoping people see a type of love that sends, spends itself on behalf of others. It doesn't expect anything back because that's what God's love is like. So often we look at people as like, well, what's in it for me? What am I getting out of this? But that's not the Christian ethos. It's to emulate the reckless love of God, the scandalous love of God that just keeps coming after us. And that is when our soul, I think, it, dealing with the, the vulnerable, whether it's the elderly or the disabled, it's something grows in our soul when we don't expect something in return. Reciprocity in the body. The developmentally disabled need us, but we also need them. Why? Why do we need them? If you wanna really be like God, you have to love like God. In the glorified state, in Revelation 21, it says that there will be no pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. I love what you shared, Mrs. Gady, about, uh, who is it, your aunt? Is that who that was? Yeah, and her love for the Lord. I know that for my cousin, like she i know she has jesus she has a relationship with jesus can i explain that to you can i tell you like the date and the time and all this normal evangelical rigmarole that we put people through no i don't got any of that but i know that she has a connection with jesus and jesus has a connection with her and i have absolute certainty as much as certainty as i can have as a flawed human being that I'm gonna see my cousin in the glorified state. And we're gonna finally have a conversation with each other beyond the limited vocabulary that she has as a mostly nonverbal person. But when she recognizes your face. Sorry, Mom, I should have warned you about this lesson. We're just gonna get undone here. Uh... Yeah, I mean, when, when my cousin sees my mother's face, it's, I know she's going to know you. And she'll be able to say, you were the person. You were the person who showed up for me. You were the person who treated me with dignity. You are the person who talked to me, who, in my cousin's case, with her parents, you were the person who picked me up every Sunday for church. You drove me to the lake, you put a life vest on me every time so I wouldn't fall out of the boat. You took me to Disneyland on my 21st birthday let me watch that dopey Barney video like for the 425th time just because I loved it so much. You know, you are the one who showed up for me. The reward of my aunt and uncle, they are not famous people, but they will be famous in the kingdom of God. So we're going to talk about concepts of personhood now. Cuz there's there's there are competing concepts of personhood. We all have a certain concept of personhood as Christians, but it's not all shared. There's historically speaking, there's the approach that the Nazis used. The building of the master race, eliminating those that they deemed unworthy of life. And given that so many, uh, a rising number of young people in our culture don't even know who the Nazis were. They don't understand what the Holocaust was. It's, it's very important for us to talk to them that like, look, our, world, our worldview is not the only game in town. And, and you know, there have been other competing concepts of, of personhood. And, and I've been hammering in this class for three years that our worldviews matter. What we believe about a simple concept like personhood matters. The mentally retarded, the physically handicapped, and mentally ill were targeted for what was called the T4, or euthanasia program. We asked our daughter recently if she knew what the word euthanasia meant, and she had no idea. She, she's like, I don't know what that means, and so then that is a, a discussion. Don't assume that your kids know what these things are. And, you know, when you're we read last week in Deuteronomy chapter six, we talk to your children when you're on the way, when you're on the road, when you're driving in your minivan. That's my that's my uh, paraphrase of that. When you're on the, the uh, when you're on the road, just be always be talking about these things. What what are these concepts are in the van? They can't escape. It's a, it's a captive audience. We're going to have a worldview conversation right now. There's the functionalist approach, and this is the growing approach in our culture. Uh, Peter Singer, we talked a while back about him. He's the most uh, prominent philosopher behind the functionalist approach. And the foundational trait here is that personhood is described by brain function, neocortical function, capacity to do certain tasks, to think, to feel, to remember, to anticipate. And this is often what is looked upon In the more extreme versions of the pro-choice debate is how do we determine what a person is? Where is personhood? It's you need to have a certain amount of brain function before you can be considered to be a person. The problem with this is that it would exclude human embryos from being human persons Mm -hmm. because they don't have the proper brain functioning. It would also exclude infants, patients in a persistent vegetative state, it would also confer rights of personhood to some higher-ordered animals, such as whales and dolphins. And that is a function-based mm-hmm. definition to personhood. Mm-hmm. And, but you get into these kinds of weird situations then, where whales could technically have person rights. And I, I could, and you know, you laugh, but this is happening. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, this is the direction that we're going. So the essentialist, the essentialist defines a thing according to its essence, not according to its behavior. In our, in our uh, vocabulary that we've been using in the class, part of its essence is that it's created in the image of God. It's part of its essence. It's intrinsic. That's the other word that I've been using Those word. That it's built into us. It's not something that comes from the outside. It's something that's inside. Our, our, uh, de- the declaration of... Uh, Independence calls it inalienable rights. That's intrinsic. That's our essence. It's anchored in the person's potential as a rational, volitional, spiritual, and personal being. It's a person with potential, not a potential person. And so when we are, as Christians, we are essentialists when it comes to uh, defining the human person because we believe that our essential what it sets us apart from all the other creatures, plants, and animals on the earth is that we are created in the image of God. That's to use the biblical terms. There's something about us. Part of it is our creativity. Part of it is our ability to be conformed in holiness to God. There's some parts of it that are about just that we are human beings. And there's something about us that is like God, that we have been put on this earth to rule the, the earth, to multiply and fill the earth. That's part of what it means to be created in the image of God. We are his representatives on earth. We bring the gospel to all creation. We've talked about all of these concepts all year, and all of these are embedded in the image of God idea. Why is it truly incredible to honor the dignity of the mentally disabled with a prom. I say, well, I could answer that question easily as a Christian. Just like you would go buy clothes or even make clothes for your for your aunt. You would say, "I want her to have the dignity of looking good." My aunt, my uncle, I I know when when uh, their daughter was growing up, there was always like part of the tension of How long do we dress her like a child, but now she's a 28-year-old woman, and how do we help her have appropriate clothing even though developmentally she's, you know, more like a -a one-and-a-half-year-old? Like, what does that look like? That's part of the dignity. Yeah. Yeah, is that we want to treat people the way that we would want to be treated. Why does every life matter? Because every human life is created in the image of God. I can answer that question. I don't have a problem answering that question. Mm-hmm. Now, if I am a, what's called a secular humanist, which is, the, I think, the dominant worldview in our culture right now, or it's on the rise, is that they want to say that humans have value. Human trafficking is wrong. They want to say that rape is wrong. They want to say that child abuse is wrong. But they don't want to have God as part of the equation. That's the secular part, okay? So they want to borrow my worldview, they want to borrow my values, but they want to take God out of it. In my opinion, that doesn't work. If you want to borrow my worldview, you're just showing me how you like my worldview better. It has more explanatory power. It's more more emotionally satisfying. It seems more just. But if you take God out of the equation, what is your ground for saying that I should not kill children with Down syndrome? What is your moral ground? If you don't have God, who is the person who has set up the system in the first place, who has created us in his image in the first place, and has said, these are my special creations, and they deserve special treatment. That all comes from God. That's the inalienable rights. They haven't been given, we haven't been given inalienable rights by our government. What does it say? From From the creator. So our country historically is not a country based on secular humanism it has a worldview that is pretty reflective of the historic Christian idea of being created in the image of God. But the view view that's on the rise is let's just take God out of it, but I still want to say that these things are morally wrong and these things are morally right, but I've taken the lawgiver away. I just want the laws. Mm -hmm. He's also the judge. Yes. But in our view... Historically, we say that, that there are both laws, but there's laws because there's a lawgiver, And if we don't have the lawgiver, we don't have sense with the laws because there's no origin, there's no source. Where did they come from? And you and I all have judgments about what's right, what's wrong, what's horrible, what's good, right? If I show a clip up here, some of us are crying. Why? Because we think something is morally good or we think something is morally wrong. But that's only because we're informed by our worldview that those ideas come from God and his nature. You see, the the dilemma that our culture is in is so I just say, why? Why does every life matter? I can answer that, no problem, because every life is created in the image of God. But if you're a secular humanist, I don't know how you answer that question. We read about that in Romans 1, that that's one of the steps, is first I invent my own religion, I invent my own God, then step two is I invent my own morality. Mm-hmm. Thank you for reminding Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to watch, we're going to watch another video. Is it OK if we watch another video? Yes. All right. So it's another short video. Now this is from uh, a Christian home for the developmentally and intellectually disabled. And I want you to listen to what their rationale is for why they even have a group home. And so we're going to play this clip.
2: One in six children in the United States have a developmental or intellectual disability. Most of the time, these children live at home with their families and have access to services and support. But when they become adults, what are their options? An additional concern is that as children with Down syndrome age, many begin to develop Alzheimer's or dementia around age 40. By the time they are 60 years old, almost 100% of them experience some form of dementia and need memory care as well as everyday care. With aging parents and a desire to live independent lives, where do they go? Where will they live? Who will help? There is a place of hope and help for families and the ones they love. Sierra Salem Christian Homes is a safe, secure, and loving community that sees all people, especially the oftentimes forgotten developmentally disabled adult, as image bearers of God. Our highly trained and caring staff members celebrate each one of our residents and strive to see them develop socially, emotionally, physically, intellectually, and spiritually within a compassionate, attentive, and Christian environment. Sierra Salem Christian Homes offers several spacious, comfortable homes in quiet residential neighborhoods to adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities for the entirety of their adult lives starting at age 18. We welcome them and invite them to think of Sierra Salem as their permanent home and extended family. As they become older adults, we want them to know that they will be loved, cared for, and will always be a part of the Sierra Salem Christian Homes family, even as they age and move into their elderly years. Sierra Salem Christian Homes began as a need shared by several families who wanted to create a lifelong home for their own adult children who were living with a disability. These families came together and created a place that reflected their values and desire to see their children safe, loved, and cared for, while allowing these adult children the opportunity to live independently from their parents. The families, the board, and the entire staff of Sierra Salem Christian Homes have one singular goal, to extend Christ's love to precious adults by providing a home where they can be safe, share their unique personalities, gain greater independence, receive training and ongoing skills, have fun, enjoy life, and live together as a family within the Sierra Salem Christian Homes community.
0: So what I liked about that is just real like a real life example of what we're talking about here. And not dissimilar to the situation that my aunt and uncle have started for their daughters. They got together with some other families that had adult children in similar situation and set up their own group home so that their children could have a safe environment and and place to grow and to thrive. And so this is part of our legacy as Christians. And I hope that this has helped you kind of reflect on this in a more intentional way and to to think about these things. I wanna leave you with one final idea here today Um, And that is the issue of dignity and work. Now, we talked about work way last September. We had a whole lesson on the theology of work and that this is an aspect of what it means to be created in the image of God. That work is not part of the curse. Work is part of how we were created. We were created to work. And I've often reflected on the needs of the developmentally and intellectually disabled and the need to work. And I even struggled with this when I was disabled. And I would struggle to work, but the the ability to get up and go to a job when you're disabled, even if it's like something that is is somewhat minimal, there's dignity in that, or volunteer, or volunteer. Yes, that it got me up, it gave me hope, it gave me a structure, and it wasn't just um, like going to daycare or something. It was you know that I had some place to go, and there was a season in my life where. I was glad you know, my employer cut my, my hours down at one point to, to 10 hours a week. But it was 10 hours that I could, I could go and, and participate and contribute. And it kept me going. And it helped me have dignity in my life. And, um, but this is also true, I think, for the, this group of, of vulnerable population. They have what are called sheltered work environments. I don't know if you're familiar with these. Um, the old model for what we did with, with people that were developmentally and intellectually disabled, we put them in institutions, right? And we've kind of moved away from that, thankfully, because I, I don't think that works as well for preserving dignity. But they have these sheltered work environments that have been going, I don't know, last 30, 40 years, they've really risen in popularity. My cousin was. Part of one of these for many years, so is Bob's uncle. And uh, my cousin, uh, for a long time, I don't know if she still does this, but she would sort paper in a f- type of a factory situation. Paper would come in, and she knew enough that she could sort according to the color, I believe, and she would sort it in bed. a very mundane job that most of us would not enjoy. Gave her great joy to get up in the morning, to get dressed, to go on the bus, and to go work at. Uh, this work environment and sort paper day after day. And they would have trips there too. They would take them out bowling sometimes and do other activities with them. But it, was, uh, it really gave her structure and, and purpose. Um, so my, a thought, to, a question to think about is if work is intrinsic to what it means to be created in the image of God, is there value in providing work opportunities for the intellectually and developmentally disabled? As opposed to just sending them to some sort of adult daycare, which is on the rise, and they're closing down a lot of these sheltered work environments, and telling and sending them into daycare, and I ran out of time. I had a short news clip that talks about this, but if you just go on YouTube, you, there's tons of them. How these things are now being phased out, and um, yeah. But I think from a distinctly Christian point of view, to me, a sheltered work environment actually makes a lot of sense. Because if I truly believe that work is part of what it means to be created in the image of God, to honor that person with dignity is to allow them to contribute in their own way, in a sheltered way, in a special way, but to honor them in that. So that's just kind of something I want to leave you with to tie it into a previous theme of the class and talking about work. And how I've seen that in our own family and the dignity that it's brought to members of our family. Well, let me uh, close this in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for um, these vulnerable people that are among us. And as hard as it is sometimes to know what the right thing to do is in any given situation, we thank you that you're with us in it. And that you have helped to provide us with uh, a means of growth in the Lord. That this is what, part of how you've chosen to help us grow stronger in our soul and to be more conformed to the image of your son, Jesus. We ask you today for, again, just a fresh view of your truth, deeper compassion, and deeper humility in our hearts. Help us to see these vulnerable people the way that you see them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. <coughs>